0: We're in our series, Wait What, and we're taking some time to just look at some of the weird stories in the Bible. And let me tell you, there's a lot of them. We could probably spend a lot, of, a lot of our time looking at some of the bizarre stories in the Bible. But believing, listen, this is the important part, believing that they're there for a reason and that there's power and importance to us, value for us in these sort of obscure stories. And so far we've looked at the story in Genesis about the Tower of Babel where these guys decided to build a tower or a, or a building to the heavens. And they're basically their idea was saying, we don't need God, we can get there on our own. Um, and then God scrambles the language. And then we looked at a couple weird stories, followed a guy named Jacob. Um, and he had, his whole life is kind of strange. And we only looked at two of the stories, um, one of which he uh, was hoping to marry a girl named Rachel. And then he got tricked and he accidentally married a girl named Leah. How does that happen? No idea. That's what happened. Um, and then, so then he works uh, seven more years, finally gets Rachel. Um, it's kind of a fairy tale, but a really weird fairy tale. And then uh, we looked at another story with Jacob and uh, where he wrestles God and wins. Um, and uh, if you're like, these can't be real, go back to the podcast, listen to them. It'll explain everything. Um, and then uh, <laughs> the last time, almost forgot about this one, uh, we looked at Uh, Balaam's talking donkey. Remember that one? Uh, There's a talking donkey, and uh, yeah, it was very very interesting. So um, tonight we will look at two characters by the name of Ehud. Everyone say Ehud. Ehud. And Eglon. Everyone say Eglon. Ehud Ehud and Eglon are our two characters uh, tonight, and this is a great Story and I've titled this message. If you take notes, you could jot this down. The only option, the only option, is going to be sort of the theme that we'll be discussing as we look at Ehud and Eglon. All right, Judges chapter three. We're going to start in verse 12. I'm going to read the story to you. And again, I like to read it with no context, just for to speak for itself. And then we'll kind of explain it um, and go back. And it says this: and the children of Israel again. Everyone say again. Did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, and went and defeated Israel, and took possessions of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, eighteen years." But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. Any lefties in the house tonight? Lefties in the house? All right, I see you. Quite a few. All right, so Ehud's with you. He's a left-handed character. And it says this, By him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon. King of Moab, so understand Israel is in is captured by a guy named Eglon. He's the king, and they're carried away into captivity. And then God raises up our character Ehud to to deliver them. So uh, he's going to see Eglon. He's bringing a tribute. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double edged and a cubit in length. A cubit is like they say it's like your from your uh, crease on this side. It's elbow on this side. I just crease over here, um, to like the, the, <laughs> the wrist, <laughs> the crease to the wrist, everybody, th- that's about a cubit, so th- that's about how big his dagger is, you really didn't need to know that, but I just thought I'd let you know, The um, cubit in length, and fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh, remember he's a left-handed man, so it's fashioned on his right thigh. So it says, so he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, this is a very important detail. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. We just got to know that. The Bible wants us to understand that he's not just a fat man. He's a very fat man. So, Eglon king of Moab, the very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. So Ehud came uh, came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. It was like it just like had cool posters on the wall and like some like bedazzles and beads like you know one of those rooms that when you walk in you go like this just super cool you know what I mean um, so this cool trendy private chamber then Ehud said I have a message from God for you so he arose from his seat that's uh, Eglon then Ehud reached with his left hand took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his fat belly. It just says belly, but I'll add the fat belly. (laughs) Listen to this. Even the hilt, that's the handle, went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade. For he did not draw the dagger out of his belly. ready for the best part? His entrails came out. Now, there's a lot of speculation about what his entrails are. Um, some think that it's his, like, actual guts. Just went, like, <clears throat> <laughs> um, The real, the, the, I mean, the literal translation of the word, this might be way too much information. If it is, I'm so sorry for this. Um, but uh, the, the real def- the translation of entrails is feces. Um, so, yeah, so do with that what you want. Um <laughs> I'm just just, just telling you the Bible. That's my job. I'm I'm just trying to teach the Bible, okay? So, uh, yeah, his guts or whatever came out. Then Ehud went out through the porch, shut the doors of the upper room behind him, and locked them. When he had gone out, Eglon's servant came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. He's using the facilities. So he's, he's, probably, he's probably going to the bathroom. It gets funnier. This is such a good story. Uh, he's probably attending to his knees. We're 25. So they waited till they were embarrassed. You ever been there? <laughs> like you're like at your friend's house, and they're like, hey, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. And you're like, okay. Real quick. It's like a half an hour. Like, wait until they're embarrassed. Like, this is getting awkward. And, like, then you don't want to be, like, like maybe if their bathroom's near the, the bedroom, and then you don't want to be there anymore. Like, you want to go do something else. Because what if they open the door, and you're like, you were in there a long time, man. So they waited till they were embarrassed, and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. I'm sure they were relieved. But Ehud... <laughs> Ehud had escaped while they delayed. And passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sarah. And it happened when he arrived that uh, he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains and he led them. Then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel and the land had rest for 80 years. Let's pray, and then we'll talk about it. Father, again, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would speak to us now. And Lord, in the, the silliness and the craziness, God, we pray that you would we would hear and see what you want us to um, see and hear. And so God, we pray that you would just soften our hearts. Lord, it's easy for us to come into church and just be... just have so much going on, and, and even with our phone in our hands or, or just mind elsewhere, it's so hard for us to hear from you. And so, God, we pray that we would hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now, this is an interesting time in uh, Israel's history. This is the, the book of Judges is known when, when the judges ruled over Israel. And basically what happened is after the character Moses led the Israelites out of bondage to the Egyptians, he died and then God raised up a character named Joshua to lead them into the promised land. They're in the promised land and then Joshua dies. And at this point, they they have no king, they have no government. It's basically God has set up a way in which for them to live and the ultimate authority is God. And that's how God kind of intended it. God wanted them to just go straight to him for guidance and for deliverance and for all these different things. Later on, they rebelled. They asked for a king. God gives them a king, first King Saul, then ultimately King David. But in this time, the judges were basically raised up by God to bring the people of Israel back when they messed up. Basically, the cycle went like this. They're living in the promised land. They're doing their thing. But there's other people in the promised land with them. They follow different gods. They live different lifestyles. And because of the surrounding influence, the people turn their heart from God and start following the culture that's around them. They decide that, you know what? Church isn't for me. Reading the Bible isn't for me. I'm going to go with this friend who does this thing. And eventually, very quickly, they go from the direction God wanted them to go down a different road. So what would happen is because of that they'd fall into sin and then that sin would always lead to slavery. Listen, sin always leads to slavery. Sin promises more than it can give and it takes way more than you want to give it. The Sin will always say it's going to be so satisfying, it's going to be so fun, it's not that big of a deal. You give over to it and pretty soon you find yourself enslaved to that sin. That's what happened to them. They rebel, they they sin, they get enslaved to that sin. They don't like being in slavery. They hate it. And so they cry out to God. They say, God, help us. We don't want to be slaves anymore. We don't want to live like this anymore. We want to come back to you. And God, because he's merciful, would raise up a judge or a deliverer, like it's used in our text, a deliverer to bring them out of their bondage back into their freedom. And this cycle repeats over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Every great hero that you read about in the book of Judges, you, got, you get characters like Gideon, people like Samson, all of these amazing people that God raised up. Every time God raised them up is because the Israelites had rebelled and got themselves in a situation they didn't want to be in. And so... The story begins, it says judges were, were ruling, and then the people of Israel rebelled against God, and then God uses the Moabites really to, to allow them to get what the Israelites really wanted. They don't want God, they want other things, and God says, okay, if that's what you want, this is what, this is what you're going to get. So they get enslaved to those things, and then this cycle would start again. And they would go, oh, I don't want to live like this, God, I'm sorry. So then they'd get out of it, and then they would have some freedom. Then they would go back into it, and the cycle would be over and over again. And I think a lot of, a lot of Christians live their life like that. Where it's like, well, to quote Pastor Levi Lusko, he he says, we spend all of our time being forgiven and saved rather than being blessed. Where we spend all of our time, you know, doing things and then asking God to forgive us, which he always forgives us. But rather than God using his energy to bless us, he's using his energy to forgive us. And so we fail, we fail, and we're like, God, will you forgive me? And he's like, yeah, I'll forgive you. But rather than doing the stupid thing that makes you have to ask for forgiveness, why don't you do the right thing? And so I can spend all of my energy blessing you and and having favor towards you rather than spending all my time forgiving you. And so so the Israelites, they're living like this. They're, They're constantly asking for forgiveness rather than living in the freedom and in the blessing. So then God raises up a judge or a deliverer by the name of Ehud to set them free. And we've got this very bizarre story of how he does it. Now, from this judge that God raised up and how he delivered them, we learn a few things about how God works that I think are super important for us if we want to see God work in our lives, around our lives, and through our lives. The first thing you need to understand is that God uses the unlikely. God uses the unlikely. There is one notable thing about our character Ehud. One thing that that we're told other than his name and where he's from, one thing that set him apart. What was it? He's left-handed. He's left-handed. There's one thing that the Bible's like, this is what you need to know about this guy. This is what makes him special. He's left-handed. And you're like, yeah, it's super cool. In fact, this might be embarrassing to say, but growing up, like in elementary and middle school, I really wished I was left-handed. And not for anything, re- like, really cool, like I wanted to be a pitcher and left-handed pitchers are cool. Nothing like that. I just like the way lefties hold their pen and the way it looks when they write. Is that so weird? I'm sorry, like, I just think it's, because, you know, we, like, we write and our words are behind us, like, we go this way. I don't know, it just looks cooler with a lefty. The only problem is lefties, you guys smudge your your writing a lot, don't you? Because when you drag your hand, it's kind of a bummer. Whatever the case, um, the the thing is, is we really, when it comes to right hand or left hand, we don't have a whole lot of say in the matter, do we? Um, I was talking with Ty's dad the other day, and uh, he was saying, he was I think joking, maybe not, um, but that he would have been a left-handed pitcher because he's a lefty, but his dad forced him to throw righty. And, and so he was like, you're not going to be a lefty, you're going to be a righty. So, but for most people, they don't really have like a whole lot of say in the matter. They're left-handed or they're right-handed. They're, they're left-hand dominant or they're right-hand dominant. The reason I'm saying all of that is because the one distinguished characteristic of our guy Ehud the reason that he was set apart to do this amazing thing for God was because of something he had no control over. Wow. He, was, he was lefty. End of the story. Now, the interesting thing, especially in their time period, is that it was actually considered a disability to be left-handed. That In their culture, they, they thought lefty, it was like an embarrassment if you were a left-handed person. That, that, that the strong hand, and a lot of times you'll see in scripture, it'll talk about the right hand of God, or somebody will sit on this person's right hand, because the right hand is, is a sign of power and a sign of dominance, and the left hand is a sign of weakness and disability. And so somebody that was lefty, like Ty's dad, would be forced, if they could, to be righty. And yet we're told that Ehud was still a lefty. It's interesting, the word that's used in the original language that we translate that he's just left-handed, it says that Ehud, he was his character from Tribe of Benjamin, and he was left-handed, it literally would be translated bound or impeded on the right side. That this word left-handed, it would literally mean when we just say he was left-handed, it would be translated that he was bound or impeded on the right side. In other words, it would be safe to say that the reason he was left-handed was because his right hand didn't work. So we have this character Ehud, he's the hero, he's the one that God uses to bring about victory in the life of the Israelites and all we know about him is that he's left-handed and the reason he's left-handed is because his right hand doesn't work and this is the guy that God chooses to, to provide this deliverance. God listen God doesn't need obvious things to use someone to do his work. <laughs> In fact, I would say it's the subtle things that gets the attention of God. It's not the big braggy loud obvious things that we would look at and say, "Oh man, that's the person." that God should use. It's the subtle things that God uses. Uh, Back in the day, some of you guys remember this. We used to do dodgeball all the time. Uh, Once a month, we'd do the big dodgeball events. And at the beginning of the the game, we would always have team captains, usually my brothers that were twins because we felt like that was the most fair way we could do it. Like, they're identical twins. They're basically the same person. Um, So they would pick a handful of people. And you'd always watch early on. There would be a few people, usually kind of like the small not super coordinated, like that were just desperate standing in the back, like, like, pick me, pick me, and then usually there's like some big jack dude just kind of like standing there like tossing the ball up and down like this, and like most of the time when they were picking, they would pick the guy that wasn't going like this, they're just picking the guy standing in the background just kind of like, in fact, if ever I was picking, I'd kind of like not look at that guy. I was jumping up and I'm like, so awkward. Stop jumping up and down. Like, let me just pick my team. <laughs> this morning I was playing basketball at Open Gym and I had like next down, like I was team captain for the next one. And as soon as they find out, like the other people that aren't playing, find out that you're captain. They're like, hey, can I run with you? And I'm like, man, just let me pick my team that I want to run with. Anyways, that's besides the point. It's the, it's the subtle things. It's the person that's just minding their own business, doing their thing. That's the person that gets... When it comes to God, when he chooses someone to be used by him, it's not the things that the world would say, ah, that's a winner. Because if you were to line Ehud up, one, he's left-handed. Two, his right hand doesn't work. He is the last person you would pick to be the guy to deliver the nation from bondage. And yet this is the guy that God chooses because God doesn't need outward ability or strength. He's looking for humility and dependence on him. Him. The things we overlook is what God's, gets God's attention. Things like purity, things like honesty, things like humility and faithfulness, things like service. The, the words that are kind of like, those are kind of boring words. Faithfulness, humility, service. Like, come on, where's strength? Where, where, where's ability? Where, where, where's, where's leadership? Where's all those things? God's like, eh, that's fine. Where's where's a humble person? Where's a person that if if I do something in and through their life, I'm going to get the glory because people are going to look at their life and think, it just wasn't, I don't know. (laughs) It must have been God. What if our life was the type of life that everything that we did was way beyond our ability? What What if people looked at your life and be like, that person had this much potential, and yet they're living way up here. How is that even possible? I I don't want to be a person that lives up to my potential. I want to be a person that by the strength of God and the Spirit of God, I blow past my potential. And everybody goes, huh, how did he do that? And we can stand there and say, well, it's because God has given us strength to do what we can't do. And so... God chooses this character not because of what he's capable of but because of who God is in his life. This is one of my all-time favorite verses and I'm giving it to you. You can use excuse me, use it as one of your all-time favorite verses. Listen to this. First Corinthians chapter 1 says this, "For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. It says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and, and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen. That's Ehud, despise. God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. God has chosen the things that are foolish to the world. To bring glory to him. People and characters and, and situations and circumstances that you're like, this is so dumb. Why do I have to go through this? Why do I have to experience this? Why am I weak in this area? Why can't I be like that person? Why, why can't I sing like her? Or why can't I, 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 I understand the scripture like him? Or why can't I be bold like this person? Or, or whatever it is. And, and God uses the foolish things of the world put to shame the wise. God's not looking for somebody that, that has it all together. He's looking for somebody that's surrendered to him, that has something that they can give to him, that he can do something supernatural. And look, everyone looked at the appearance of Ehud. No one saw he was the threat. Everyone was so preoccupied with, with the fact that, that he's left-handed or, or, or maybe, maybe they noticed the disability of his right hand and they didn't even think. There's like, there's no way this guy's a threat to our king. Well, little did they know that because he's left-handed, he's not going to keep the dagger on his left thigh. Maybe they checked there. They did a pat down and they checked the left thigh because if you were right-handed, that's where you would keep the sword. And they're like, oh, this guy's good. He poses no threat. Little did they know that because he's left-handed, he keeps it on the right thigh. Therefore, his dagger was with them so that he could plunge it into the fat of Eglon. Everyone looked at the appearance. God looks at something different. The second point is this. God doesn't need much. God doesn't need much. Ehud is the only character mentioned by name that led Israel to victory. Now, I'm sure he wasn't alone, but he's the only one mentioned by name. The only two characters mentioned in this story are Ehud and Eglon. We've got Ehud. It's kind of confusing because both names start with E. Eglon just sounds like a, Like he probably, fat, would go over the handle of the sword type of a person. Eglon. Like it just sounds like a big guy's name. (laughs) But Ehud is the only character mentioned by name. And listen... After this, we're told, we read it there at the very end in verse 30, that it led to 80 years of peace. In the the nation of Israel's history, during the time of the Judges, 80 years was their longest period of peace. That after the actions of Ehud, leading them out of the bondage of the Moabites, it was their longest span of peace in the time of Judges longer than what Gideon brought, longer than what Samson brought, longer than what, uh, what's the next guy, Shamgar brought, or Deborah, or any of these other characters, after the actions of, of Ehud, it was the longest time of peace. And he is the only person mentioned. One unlikely guy surrendered to God, did amazing things for God. And I wonder, I have to wonder if Ehud had hoped or maybe even thought that God would use someone else or or maybe even bring someone with him. Maybe someone else will make more sense or with more skill to be able to do this thing. But here's the thing, and this is so important, and maybe you guys have heard this before, but if you haven't, this is so important. God is looking for availability, not ability. You know, I think a lot of times when it it comes to walking with God or being used by God, we think that it's all about what we bring to the table. Do you know what you bring to the table with God? You. Whatever that is. You're like, me, I'm 5'5", I don't know how tall you are, you know, 100 pounds, and uh, I'm okay at soccer. Great. Praise God. Bring it to God. (laughs) Like, you're like, I uh, am I'm in ninth grade, and I like playing video games, and um, my room's a mess. And, uh, yep, that's, that's pretty much my life. Amazing. God wants to use that. Wh- wh- whatever, whoever you are, listen, God has made you you, and God wants to use you to be a part of the kingdom of God. And maybe God wants to use you to do something great because God can do more with one available person than with a hundred capable people not surrendered to him. God can do more in your school. God can do more in your workplace. God can do more in your family. God can do more in your church. God can do more with one available person than than hundreds of capable people that aren't surrendered to him. Here's Ehud. What's he got? He's got a left hand and a right hand that might not work. He's like, he said, "Here I am, God. What, whatever you want to do, if you want me to go into Fat King Eglon's room and stab him with my sword until it disappears in his fat, God, if that's what you've called me to do, that's what I'm going to do." And Ehud, he he followed God. He surrendered to God, and as a result, he did amazing things. He wasn't looking for a lot; just someone who is willing. Listen, are you willing? Are you willing to do what God's called you to do? Are you willing to be that one person? There's a story in worship team. You guys can come up here as I close this out. There's a story um, in the book of 1 Samuel. And there's a character by the name of Jonathan. Now, this is in the future of, from where we are right now. But basically, the, the, the story goes on. We're introduced to King Saul, who becomes the first king of Israel. And, and King Saul has a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan, at one point, him and his dad and the whole army of Israel was out to battle against the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are kind of like the Israelites' arch nemesis. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're like the Joker to Batman. Like, they're always around. They're like, I thought we got rid of you. And then you just hear, like, you see the, the playing card on the table, and you're like, oh, no, he's back. I don't know. Did you guys watch Batman? Whatever. Um, he's like whatever villain you guys can think of. Uh, anyways. Dr. Doofenshmirtz. Just kind of, that got him. Man, I'm old. I need to retire. (laughs) He's like, like, they're just always around. Like, you think you're done, and then they they show up again. So that's the Philistines. So they're they're going to battle against the Philistines. Now, it's the middle of the night. The battle's about to break. And uh, uh, Jonathan, the the son of King Saul, had an idea. Listen to his idea. 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 6. He says, then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, he says, come, let us see to go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised as a Philistine. It may be, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For listen, nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. Wow. He says. translation, he says this. So me and my armor bearer, we're over here. We're looking at a whole army of Philistines. And he says, hey, bro. Do you think that uh, God could do a mighty work with one person the same as he could do with a thousand people? I-, I wonder if you and me, the two of us, we went down there with God on our side. I wonder if we could take out these guys. And listen to what his, his friend responds. Next verse. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that's in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you according to your heart. He's like, I guess. I mean, imagine this thing. You wake up in the middle of the night. He's like, yo, hey, hey, you awake? He's like, I am now. He's like, do you think, wh- wh- what prevents God from, from saving all of us if just you and I go out there? you think God can do the same thing with one person as he can do with a thousand? And he's like, yeah, probably. What he understands is that God plus one is still the majority. That God plus you, so you walk into your your school or you walk into your workplace or you walk into your family and and you walk into whatever situation you are and you feel alone. You feel like I'm the only person that thinks like this. I'm the only person that's like this. I'm the only person that understands like this. And, And you show up. Listen, you plus God is still the majority. You outnumber whoever is against you or on the other side or doing other things. And so they show up, and listen, they, they step down. They're like, let's, let's try it. So they go out, and Jonathan and his armor bear it. They defeat the entire army of the Philistines. Wow. Two guys, are just like, who cares? Like, God's on our side. Let's see what happens. Listen, God's on your side. Let's see what happens. When you're surrendered to him, let's see what, what he can do in your life and through your life. I was talking with... Um, my brothers this week, shh, not this brother, twin brothers, um, they're not here tonight, but uh, we were, we were kind of talking, there was, a, there was this one moment when they were in high school that uh, they were invited to this party, I think it was like on Halloween or something like that, and they go to this party, and they had a ton of friends, like both of them were like homecoming, like one was homecoming king, and the other was homecoming prince, I think. So they're popular kids, and they go to this party, they know a bunch of people there, and then the party goes away that they're not really into. People start drinking, people start doing this thing, and my brothers are like, this isn't us, let's get out of here. And they somehow, I don't know how, rallied pretty much half the party, and half the party left the party, and all went and hung out at Starbucks, because they're like, this is lame. We're not going to do this, this isn't isn't what we're about, Let's, let's... we're not about this. We want to do what's right. This is not the circumstance for us. So they leave and a bunch of people leave with them. Yeah. And they're like, eh. And I think about that and I'm like, that's crazy. That takes so much boldness, doesn't it? Yeah. To be like in a part. And it's one thing to just be like, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. It's another thing to be like, guys, this isn't right. Like, let's get out of here. And people are like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's get out of here. And, and, and the reason I say that and the reason I bring that up is because God can do so much in your life and through your life by yourself. But what if, you had, what if you had an armor bearer like Jonathan did? Like, what if you had that person, that one person, like for my brothers, it was their twin. They're, they like looked at themselves in the mirror and they're like, like, let's get out of here. They probably didn't even say anything, honestly. They have that ability. They, like don't, they probably just were like, yeah, let's go. Like, and everybody left with them. What if, what if you had that friend? That was like, man, I feel like we could make a difference in our school. Like, I feel like we could, we could, we can make an impact around this group of people. I feel like we could actually change the culture of this team. I feel like we could actually change how, how we interact with, with this group of people. And you found that one friend that just stuck by you like the armor bearer that's like, do whatever's in your heart. And they go out and they take out the Philistines. Yeah. Ehud, he did it by himself. But what if we had that person? So kind of my thought and, and I'm closing, done, promise, is that God doesn't need a whole lot. God's not looking for, for that person that just is like, that is just crushing A plus all the time, amazing at life, never has any mistakes, never does anything wrong, is super strong, super cool, super has everything together. God will use that if they're surrendered, but God will use just as much the person that's like, I... I fail all the time, and I have tons of doubt, and I don't know what I'm doing, and I feel like I have nothing to offer. I feel like with Ehud, it's like, do you have a hand that works? Okay, amazing. God can use you. <laughs> Just one, I got one hand that works. Praise God. God can use you. Surrender to God. Allow God to use you, and then look for somebody, like Jonathan with his armor bear, like my brothers, James and Trevor. Like, Look for that person. That says we, we, can, we can do something, we can change something here for the glory of God in the name of Jesus. Let's stand together, I'm going to pray for us.